0: The Old Testament lesson for the third Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah, chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. We continue with the gradual as printed in your bulletin insert. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please rise for the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Saint Matthew, the eleventh chapter. Glory be to thee, O. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the gospel of the Lord. Last week, Jesus told his disciples and us the signs of the end. And if you remember from last week, the signs are terrible. Signs in sun and moon and stars, on the earth, distress of nations, people fainting with fear because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It sounds like a dreadful thing that is coming. But remember the picture for you, for Christians, is very different from the way the world might perceive those signs. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, when all of those things happen, when the world falls to pieces, straighten up and raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. The signs of the end, the signs of the world crumbling for the world are devastating. But for you Christians, it is quite different. For you, it is hope. Because your redemption, your rescue is here. Remember the picture. One of the most helpful pictures for me in thinking about the end is the difference between having somebody pounding at your door, kicking in your door, you know, barging in with a weapon while you're sitting peacefully in the middle of the night versus having a firefighter show up when your house is ablaze. Having somebody bust into your house is unwelcome if you're sitting peacefully, if everything everything is okay. But if your house is on fire, if your house is falling down, then having somebody bust in to save you, as disruptive and as terrible as it may sound and seem, it is the best news there ever was. Now that same sort of lack of clarity, that same sort of difference in perspective holds today as well. Today's lessons are about judgment. They're about judgment. But judgment can mean two different things, depending on who you are, depending on where you stand. So here's the image that you should hold in your mind. You know what it's like, perhaps you know, maybe you've experienced, maybe you've never experienced this before, what it's like to have your mother say, just wait till your father gets home. Just wait till your father gets home. Usually it's not a good sign, right? Usually it's because you've been mouthing off, or you were doing something your dad told you not to do, or you're causing trouble for your siblings, or something, you were being naughty, just wait, just wait till your father comes home. Just wait for the judgment, wait for the hammer to fall. That's what's coming for you. Those words, just wait till your father comes home, they can be dreadful. If you are caught in a crime, if you have been misbehaving. But listen to how those words might sound. Maybe this is less common. (laughs) Listen to how those words might sound if you've been caught doing something excellent, something laudable, something praiseworthy, something that would make your dad proud. Just wait. Just wait till your father gets home. Just wait till he can see what you've done. Just wait till he can give you a big slap on the back and a hug and tell you how proud he is of you. See how those words are very different depending on who you are, depending on how you stand, depending, in some sense, on your deeds. That's what you have to bear in mind today, because today is about judgment. But I want to make clear that the lessons from beginning to end, the Old Testament, the Epistle, and the Gospel, they are all about the second kind of judgment, a judgment which is a judgment of praise, an innocent verdict, a judgment of righteousness, a declaration of peace. You hear this in the lesson from Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Why? Because their iniquities have been pardoned. Because they've received double for all of their sins. Not a double vengeance, not a double punishment, but a double reward. Because their sins have been forgiven and they've received a further blessing. That's a good judgment. That's a favorable judgment. That's a judgment that sets you free. Imagine, you're in a courtroom, charged with a crime and you're waiting for the verdict to be unveiled. Imagine that feeling of joy and freedom when you hear those words, not guilty, not guilty, and you're free. That's the judgment that God brings to his people through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. That's the judgment that is coming for John the Baptist as he sits there in prison. He has done what is right. He was a faithful preacher. He spoke God's word clearly. It cost him dearly, but the judgment is coming for him. Jesus says, look at the signs. I'm here raising the dead. I'm healing the sick. I'm giving sight to the blind. Will I not also? Will I not also give peace to you, vindication to you? That's the promise for John the Baptist. The same promise that we hear resonates with Paul. It doesn't matter to Paul one bit what anyone thinks of him. It doesn't matter what the people he preaches to say about him. It doesn't matter even what he thinks about himself. This is a marvelous thing. Paul doesn't care how he feels about himself. All that matters is what God thinks of him. All that matters is how God regards him, that he receives his commendation from God. And Paul knows that that commendation is coming, that he will receive that praise on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is why Paul can, in some sense, not care one bit whether the Corinthians are pleased with him or not, whether they receive his words gladly or not, because God... God is pleased with him. That is the kind of judgment that awaits all of you, you who by faith put your trust in Jesus, your Savior. It is a judgment of innocence. It is vindication over everything that you've suffered in this life on account of righteousness. It is hopes fulfilled. It is freedom and peace and joy and a future. That is the judgment that awaits you. Before we deal with that a little bit further, I think it's important, however, that we pay attention to the other kind of judgment. The dreadful kind of judgment. The kind of judgment which is that terrible word, guilty. Awaiting sentencing. Knowing what is coming for you. Knowing that there is no escape. Listen to what Paul says. His words have an edge to them. There's two sides to his words. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Who wouldn't tremble at those words? That the judgment means that everything is laid bare. That all of the things that we've done, all of the excuses that we've made, all of our attempts to cover our sins, they will be uncovered, they'll be removed, and will be standing there, exposed before God. Who would not tremble at the thought of that kind of judgment? It's terrible. It's the worst thing imaginable. In fact, it is something that people spend their whole lives trying to avoid imagining. I think this is one of the reasons why people get so invested in the judgment of other people, or in making judgments about themselves? Why do people care so much what others think about them? Why do people care so much about their own self-image, their own sense of self-worth? Why do people say things like, you got to forgive yourself first? Why? I think it's because, deep down, they know that they cannot stand before the one who judges justly. They cannot stand before the one whose judgment is true and whose judgment is unyielding. And so we look for acclamation, we look for approval from every other place that we can get it. From the people around us, we seek the company of those who will pat us on the back and say, good job, you've done all right. We seek to soothe ourselves by working up excuses and rationales for all of the things that we've done, which we should not have done. We do all of that in order to avoid God's judgment, which is terrible, burning like a fire against sin. This is why God sends preachers, this is why God sent John the Baptist to Herod to warn him of this coming judgment. That's the backdrop for our gospel lesson. John is sitting in prison and he asks Jesus, he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who's coming or should we look for another? The reason why John was in prison is because he had spoken out against King Herod who had taken his brother's wife to be his own. So it was an adulterous relationship, and he had sinned not only against his brother and against his brother's wife, but also against God. John preached against that. John warned him about the wrath to come. Turn away from your sin, John said. And Herod responded by throwing him into prison. Now, it wasn't John's own word, it wasn't his own opinion, but it was a warning from God himself. It was God's word. God does not want sinners to fall under his judgment. And so he sends this warning, look out, the day is coming. The day is coming when the breath of the Lord will breathe, and we all who are like grass and the flowers of the field will wither. Watch out. John preached to Herod this warning. It's a warning that is necessary. We all need it. We all need it desperately. Unbelievers need this warning, for without this warning, no one would ever turn from their sin. Without a warning about God's coming judgment, about our unrighteousness in the face of his law, about our failure to live up to any of his commands, about all that we deserve in hell, without that warning, no one would ever turn from their sin. No one would ever fear God. No one would ever wonder how they're going to stand on the last day. Believers also, not just unbelievers, believers need this warning because it is very easy for us to grow complacent, for us to become at ease with our sins, to think, well, they're all forgiven anyhow. What difference does a little bit make here or there? And a little bit grows, and a little bit grows, and our hearts become harder and harder, and so we need to hear this warning, this breath of God breathed against us the hammer of his law which smashes our hearts, which takes down every idol and every excuse we might have, we need to know that if we try to stand on our own merits, if we try to show up before God's throne with all of our sins in tow, saying, nothing but I tried my best, or I've got all these reasons for these sins, or it's going to be okay, you must forgive me anyhow, mustn't you? If we come before God asking those kinds of questions, it is only a dreadful judgment for us. It is only guilt and eternal fire but that is not the judgment that awaits you. Listen carefully. Today's lessons are emphasizing this innocent verdict, that you, you get to stand before God's throne at peace and in confidence, recognizing that his breath is a breath of life for you, not a breath that causes you to wither because you have received his righteousness by faith. You have received Jesus' goodness by faith. So you get to show up on the last day with all of your sins in tow and Jesus covering all of them. You get to show up on the last day making no excuses whatsoever, not trying to hide anything, gladly showing yourself to God because that is what he sent his son to forgive, receiving from him every blessing, all of his mercy. This is why the judgment of anybody else, any person, and even our own judgment of ourselves. Why it does not matter one bit because God's judgment is the only judgment that can declare you righteous. What other people think of you, if they tell you you're doing all right, if they tell you you're doing well, if they tell you you're a good person, what difference does that make? What matters is whether God calls you good. And he does. Not because you've been free from sin, not because you've managed to root out unrighteousness or wickedness in your life, not because you can save yourself, but because he has sent his son to save you. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And his judgment of you is good. That's why Paul can do what is right, why he can preach the gospel and not worry. It's unimaginable to me to be so brave and confident as Paul. I don't care what you think about me, he says to the Corinthians. I don't even think about myself. I don't even ask whether I have anything against me because God is the one who judges and it is from him and him alone that I receive my commendation. That is the peace that Christ has come to speak. That is the comfort that Isaiah preaches to his people. It's not a comfort that comes because they themselves have made themselves clean, but because God has come to rescue them. He has come to draw them out of sin. He has come to give them everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. The might of the Lord has come to do what? But to save them. The might of the Lord for his people is not destructive. It is not blow by blow, laying us low and driving us into the ground, but it is to lift us up and restore us. It is the might of the Lord to carry his lambs, where they cannot go on their own. It is the might of the Lord to draw his flock, to green pastures and still waters, to feed and provide for them, and to make them clean. The one who looks to Christ, the one who puts his trust in Jesus alone, the one who does not think to cover his own sins or to revel in them, but the one who knows how grievous they are and what he deserves for them and believes on the mercy of Jesus, that one is justified by faith. That is the one who has good news preached to him. Your iniquities have been pardoned. Your sins have been restored double. God is gracious and merciful to you. There's one last thing to say in view of what Paul Sorry, in view of what John is suffering as he sits there in prison. Just put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He's done what is right. And he knows that the Messiah comes. The Messiah comes to set free the prisoners. He has trusted in Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He's put everything. He's put everything in this basket. He's bet everything on Jesus. And yet he sits in prison. Where is his freedom? Where is his vindication? Where is the proof of God's mercy toward him? John had every reason to wonder. Now, I don't think that he was in despair. I don't think John was languishing. But I think he wanted to know, just like you ought to want to know. As you wend your way through this life, as you suffer, as you contemplate what it means to live according to God's promises, as you strive to live by faith, you must also wait. And as you wait, do not give up hope. Do not think that just because you suffer now, that just because things are difficult, that just because your righteousness is not rewarded now, because your faith is not rewarded in all its glory now, that God is somehow holding out on you. Wait. Wait. Because Christ has come to give you every good thing. Jesus speaks to John. He says, look. The proof is in the pudding. I'm here, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, I'm healing the sick, I'm preaching good news to the poor, all that remains, all that remains is for Jesus to die. All that remains is for the sacrifice to be made for every sin. For John to have freedom, apart from that would do him no good. For you to have freedom, apart from Christ, would do you no good. So wait for his salvation. He has been crucified for you. Wait for his resurrection. Wait for his return in all his glory when you will be vindicated over sin and every evil because you are found righteous. You are found righteous for the sake of Christ. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.